TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is live coverage from ABC News. Terror at the nightclub. Here is ABC News correspondent Brad Milky. The investigation continues into the attack that killed 49 and injured dozens in Orlando yesterday. At this hour, the local hospital says five are still in grave condition. So as the death toll continues or threatens at least to rise, the question remains why? Not only why did Omar Mateen allegedly carry out the worst mass shooting in American history, but why was he allowed to buy an assault rifle after being questioned by the FBI about terror connections? FBI Director James Comey is about to hold a news conference. We'll take you live to Washington, where we're joined by ABC's Kenneth Moten. And in fact, at this hour, we're just seeing FBI Director James Comey walk into the Justice Department. He will be sitting down with reporters and briefing them on just how Omar Mateen acquired the weapons he did before allegedly carrying out that deadly attack. Let's listen in. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for being here today. We're here to discuss the Justice Department's response to the stunning and unconscionable acts in Orlando. Our hearts are broken for the unfathomable losses that the people of Orlando have suffered, and our thoughts and prayers continue to be with their families and their loved ones. As Attorney General Lynch said yesterday, the full resources of the Department of Justice, which includes the FBI and ATF, the National Security Division at Maine Justice, as well as the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Middle District of Georgia, are all supporting the ongoing investigation. Our agents and investigators have been on the ground since the very beginning and have been working around the clock since yesterday, and they'll continue to do so in the days ahead. I want to thank our law enforcement colleagues in Florida for their tireless and extraordinary work so far and their dedication to the ongoing investigation. I've also been in contact with the Attorney General, who is currently on her way back from China and continues to monitor developments in the case. Words really can't express the depth of our sorrow or the measure of our grief for losses that have been suffered by those and in lives that have been changed forever. What happened in Orlando yesterday was a horrifying act, a horrifying act of evil and terror. For the LGBT community, Pulse was more than just a place to go and celebrate and see friends. It was a place that promised inclusion and freedom to be themselves, the same promise that our country holds for everyone. This was an attack on that promise. It was an attack on our values as a country and our national community. It was an attack on who we are as a nation and as a people. And our country as a whole stands united in response to this cowardly and despicable act. And so with this, I'll turn things over to Director Comey, who will provide some additional details on where we are in the investigation right now. That's Deputy Attorney General Thank Sally Yates sitting next to her FBI Director James Deputy Comey, General who speaks now. Just now, our hearts, 
are broken and ache for the people who were lost in Orlando, those wounded and their families. We are so sorry for your loss and your suffering. I also want to say a word of thanks and express admiration for the work of local law enforcement in Orlando. They showed professionalism and extraordinary bravery that saved lives. We are very lucky that such good people choose lives of service in law enforcement. And last, I want to say a word of thanks to the people who rendered care that saved lives at the scene, the docs, the EMTs, the nurses, the victim specialists, and the ordinary citizens who stopped to help family and friends. You showed us the best part of humanity in the midst of terrible loss. As you know, this is a federal terrorism investigation led by the FBI with the assistance, as we always do, of our state, local, and federal partners. The reason for that is there are strong indications of radicalization by this killer and of potential inspiration by foreign terrorist organizations. We are spending a tremendous amount of time, as you would imagine, trying to understand every moment of this killer's path to that terrible night in Orlando, to understand his motives and to understand the details of his life. You will notice that I'm not using the killer's name, and I will try not to do that. Part of what motivates sick people to do this kind of thing is some twisted notion of fame or glory, and I don't want to be part of that for the sake of the victims and their families, and so that other twisted minds don't think that this is a path to fame and recognition. So what I want to do is give you a sense of what we know so far, and then tell you as much as I can about our past contact with the killer. We are going through the killer's life, as I said, especially his electronics, to understand as much as we can about his path and whether there was anyone else involved, either in directing him or in assisting him. So far, we see no indication that this was a plot directed from outside the United States, and we see no indication that he was part of any kind of network. It is also not entirely clear at this point just what terrorist group he aspired to support although he made clear his affinity at the time of the attack for ISIL and generally leading up to the attack for radical Islamist groups. He made 911 calls from the club during the attack at about 2.30 in the morning, Sunday morning. And there were three different calls. He called and he hung up. He called again and spoke briefly with the dispatcher. And then he hung up. And then the dispatcher called him back again and they spoke briefly. So there were three total calls. During the calls, he said he was doing this for the leader of ISIL, who he named and pledged loyalty to. But he also appeared to claim solidarity with the perpetrators of the Boston Marathon bombing and solidarity with a Florida man who died as a suicide bomber in Syria for al-Nusra Front, a group in conflict with the so-called Islamic State. The bombers at the Boston Marathon and the suicide bomber from Florida were not inspired by ISIL, which adds a little bit to the confusion about his motives. And of course, we're working to understand what role anti-gay bigotry may have played in motivating this attack, an attack that occurred during the very month when we recognize and celebrate our LGBT brothers and sisters. Again, it's early. We're working hard to understand the killer, and his motives and his sources of inspiration. But we are highly confident that this killer was radicalized and at least in some part through the internet. So that's what we've been doing. <coughs> now let me tell you what I can about the FBI's prior contact with the killer. 
We first became aware of him in May of 2013. He was working as a contract security guard at a local courthouse, and he made some statements that were inflammatory and contradictory that concerned his coworkers about terrorism. First, he claimed family connections to Al-Qaeda. He also said that he was a member of Hezbollah, which is a Shia terrorist organization that is a bitter enemy of the so-called Islamic State, ISIL. He said he hoped that law enforcement would raid his apartment and assault his wife and child so that he could martyr himself. When this was reported to us, the FBI's Miami office opened a preliminary investigation. And over the next 10 months, we attempted to determine whether he was possibly a terrorist, something we do in hundreds and hundreds of cases all across the country. Our investigation involved introducing confidential sources to him, recording conversations with him, following him, reviewing transactional records from his communications, and searching all government holdings for any possible connections, any possible derogatory information. We then interviewed him twice. He admitted making the statements that his co-workers reported, but explained that he did it in anger because he thought his co-workers were discriminating against him and teasing him because he was Muslim. After 10 months of investigation, we closed the preliminary investigation. Two months later, in July of 2014, the killer's name surfaced again in an indirect way. Our Miami office was investigating the Florida man who had blown himself up for the Nusra Front in Syria. Again, the Nusra Front being an al-Qaeda group in conflict with ISIL. And we learned from the investigation that the killer knew him casually from attending the same mosque in that area of Florida. But our investigation turned up no ties of any consequence between the two of them. In the course of that investigation, one witness told us when asked, do you know anybody else who might be radicalizing, that he had once been concerned about the killer because the killer had mentioned Alaki videos. But the, the witness had concluded that he later got married and had a child and got a job as a security guard, and so he was no longer concerned about him. Our investigation again turned and interviewed the killer to find out whether he had any significant contacts with the suicide bomber for al-Nusra, determined that he did not, and then the inquiry continued, focusing on the suicide bomber with no further focus on the Orlando killer. We will continue to look forward in this investigation and backward. We will leave no stone unturned, and we will work all day and all night to understand the path to that terrible night. We're also going to look hard at our own work to see whether there is something we should have done differently. So far, the honest answer is, I don't think so. I don't see anything in reviewing our work that our agents should have done differently, but we'll look at it in an open and honest way and be transparent about it. Our work is very challenging. We are looking for needles in a nationwide haystack, but we're also called upon to figure out which pieces of hay might someday become needles. That is hard work. If we can find a way to do that better, we will. We will also do our best to be transparent about what we find going forward, consistent with our need to do an investigation in a good way, but we will tell you as much as we possibly can. And let me close by saying something I have said before. We know that this killing is upsetting to all Americans. We hope that our fellow Americans will not let fear become disabling, because that is what these savages want. We hope that instead you will channel this sense of anxiety into something 
more positive, which is an awareness of your surroundings and the seeking of opportunities to help your fellow Americans, as we saw with the tremendous lines of people giving blood in Orlando. If you channel that anxiety into awareness, you can live your life and allow those of us who are paid to investigate and to stop terrorists to do that work while you live the full life that this great country offers you. If you see something, tell us so we can look at it. In every single one of our cases as we look back, somebody always sees something that they should have told us and they didn't. So our request to you is please don't let them make you work into a state of anxiety that is disabling. Find ways to channel that into a healthy awareness of your surroundings and live your lives. And we will keep you posted on what we learn from doing our work. Thank you very much. Live from the Justice Department in Washington, where FBI Director James Comey detailed a haze of information about Omar Mateen, saying he had been extensively surveilled and questioned for months without turning up anything substantial, nothing that would point to the horrific attack that he allegedly carried out Sunday. He also said the FBI will examine its own practices to see if it can find needles from gigantic haystacks. I'm Brad Milkey. You're listening to live coverage from ABC News. Want to take us down to Orlando, where ABC's Aaron Katursky has been following this. And Aaron, FBI says it will go over its own practices, but still a lot of questions lingering over the agency right now. Chief, among them, what they knew and when, and we're getting the fullest picture we have so far of the gunman Omar Mateen, who FBI Director James Comey declined to publicly name. He said that the FBI first came into contact with him in May of 2013 when he made statements to co-workers at a local courthouse in his hometown of Port St. Lucie. Those statements alarmed his co-workers, but after an investigation, Comey said it was determined that maybe he did it out of anger and there was no further need to surveil him or to introduce confidential sources, steps that Comey said were taken. Again, his name surfaced in July of 2014, for an investigation of an American suicide bomber. His name came up, but ultimately the investigation's focus turned away from Omar Mateen. So now, whether there was something to do differently, Comey said it doesn't appear so, but there are still a lot of questions about someone who was inspired by terror propaganda he read online. And, Brad, the disparate sources of that propaganda, ISIS, the Boston Marathon bombers, Al-Nusra Front, Hezbollah, uh, some of those groups are, are in direct opposition. And sources tell ABC News that Mateen purchased two of his weapons at that gun shop in Port Lucie, Florida. One was an automatic rifle advertised to be light, short, and silent. ABC's Kenneth Moten is at the White House. And Kenneth, the president spoke to reporters in the Oval Office earlier this morning, and he continues to point to gun control as the larger answer. He does, Brad, as he was surrounded by his national security team and the FBI director, James Comey, before he spoke with the media moments ago. Um, the president said this homegrown extremism excuse me, extremism is what the concern is. That's what we've been worried about um, in this country, these lone wolves. And he says, when it comes to gun control reform, if we make it easy for individuals who are troubled or disturbed, um, this is the problem here because those individuals can walk into a store and they can legally buy a gun and they can walk out. And so the president made that push again in the Oval Office um, to call for some type of reform, to call for legislation, to call for what he's called for every single time he sat at the podium to talk about a mass shooting. Um, and that is to make sure that those who are disturbed or possible terror suspects, that they're not able to get a gun. 
And Hillary Clinton has echoed Barack Obama in those sentiments about gun control. Donald Trump has sort of dismissed those comments as ineffectual. He's been pointing to his own plan uh, to reduce immigration from Middle Eastern countries, although Omar Mateen, of course, was an American citizen. The debate will go on, as will the debate over law enforcement, how much they knew. For now, though, for Aaron Katursky, for Kenneth Moten at the White House, I'm Brad Milkey. You've been listening to live coverage from ABC News. ABC News, honored. Winner for the second straight year with the Edward R. Murrow Award for overall excellence in television and radio. ABC News, America's number one news source. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.